This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots and helping them reach their aviation career goals. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here's your host, Carl Valeri. Hello and welcome to Episode 8 of Aviation Careers Podcast, combining a flying career with another career. An interview with Jamie Beckett, publisher of Flight Monkeys, and some product reviews. Pilots are fascinating people because they're goal-oriented and have many interests. If you find that you have a passion for flying but have other interests in life, a career in aviation can still be for you. One of the wonderful things about flying for the airlines are my days off. Some months I have 20 days off, which affords me the opportunity to pursue other passions and endeavors. Can you think of a career you might enjoy part-time while having a career in aviation? You know, I have friends with successful careers in aviation while also having a career in many other fields, such as dentistry, law, real estate, accounting, and medicine, just to name a few. If you have a passion for aviation and a passion for other endeavors, don't fret. Flying might be perfect for a career for you. One person who has really designed a lifestyle which includes a career in aviation is Jamie Beckett. Jamie is publisher of FlightMonkeys.com. He's an author, flight instructor, city commissioner in Winter Haven, Florida. Jamie's a real busy individual, and you can tell by speaking with him for only a few moments that he lives life to the fullest. Jamie, welcome. Thanks very much. I appreciate it, Carl. Now, Jamie, just tell me a little bit about uh, your background, how you got into aviation. Sounds like you have a really varied background, and, and the point you are here right now is, is much different than uh, most people would be at in aviation. You think they go to the airlines, but you've not done that. No, I didn't. And in all honesty, my career is a total accident. It was a it was a mistake. I was a musician in New York City in my 20s and having a great time. I literally just went to get my private license so that I could get out of the city easier when I had downtime. And I found out I actually liked it a lot more than I thought, and I was pretty good at it. So it kind of became a disease, and ultimately I ended up being one of those guys that got the commercial single-engine, multi-engine. I, I got my instructor ratings. I got my AMP. So it just became my full lifestyle. And as you say, it really has become a lifestyle choice for me. This is what I do full-time. It's just not the traditional aviation career. <laughs> Well, and, and that's good. I mean, a lot of uh, people have written into us and asked, hey, you know, I want to get into aviation. I want to do it part time. Uh, can I have a fulfilling career in aviation, even if I decide not to go to the airlines? I'm assuming your answer is going to be yes. Oh, not just yes. Absolutely. You can have a really interesting career that allows you to do things that value, that have value for you, that you get to design it yourself. And while I mean no disrespect to my friends who fly for airlines, and I have a number, I control my own schedule. I decide who I fly with and when I fly with, which airplanes I work on, or whether I take time off from that and work on a book or another project. I'm incredibly lucky that I get to do what I do, but it's largely because a while back I realized rather than follow the traditional path, which is quite lucrative for some people, I wanted to have more control over my life and, and be home and not jet lagged. And, and this, this has worked out great for me. I tell you, a lot of folks at the airlines are jealous, and they're sitting there saying, God, I'd love to do that. You actually get to sleep in your own bed every night, and, and you can wash your clothes anytime you want. That's incredible. Now, you also have a family, have a, a wife and kids. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. How, how do they put up with your varied interests, in, both in your non-aviation and your aviation job? 
You know, that's a great question because I do have a family. I have three kids and a wife. Uh, my wife is not at all into flying, but she'll fly with me. She doesn't want to fly the plane, but she's happy to go along for the ride. My son is 28 years old. He flew the plane his first time when he was eight. Uh, flew it fine. Flew through Connecticut and Rhode Island and Massachusetts, and we were burning in an engine on a on a 152 that had just gotten a swap. Uh, doesn't really care about flying. He's a computer geek in New York City, and he's doing very well. My older daughter is not a huge aviation fan. She's 18 years old. She's a college student. Ironically, she does work for a biplane ride operator. She loads people in and out of the airplane. She has flown a steerman. She's done stalls and lazy eights and things like that. And she likes it. She doesn't want to bother to get licensed. My youngest is 13. She is maybe the smartest kid on the planet. She decided she wants to go to either Annapolis or the Air Force Academy. She's flown uh, Cessna 140s. She's flown 172s, Cubs on floats. She's just a wild woman. She really does like it. She's one of those kids who will disappear in her room with the pilot handbook and just start studying up and come out with these weird questions. Daddy, what's monocoque as opposed to semi-monocoque? I like that. <laughs> you mean she's a girl that wants to fly. And boy, we look at the statistics. There's only about 7% out there flying, only about 4% as, as airline pilots and professional pilots. Uh, why is that, you think? Why aren't there more women in aviation? You know, it's a it's a complex question, I think, because aviation is a lifestyle, and it's often a misunderstood lifestyle. It doesn't have to be an all-encompassing thing. I think women often, when they start thinking about a career track, start thinking about family and children and things, and I can't compete in that environment, when the reality is you could be a flight instructor or an examiner or a business owner and be involved in aviation on a daily basis and never leave town if that's your choice. Um, it works for a lot of people. I actually have a friend who is, uh, she's a captain for an airline out West. She started by getting her AMP and went to work for one of the big flight schools because as an employee, she got a discount on flight training. She worked her way through all her licenses as a mechanic and then worked her way up the ladder. But she's had a very successful career. She's very happy, but she's gone in a very non-traditional route. And I will say, as I always have, women are better students than men. Men want to fight the airplane. Women think about it. And, and my proof of this is, and you'll back me up, I'm sure, if you're teaching a ground school to a room full of men and you say, does everybody here understand how a four-stroke, normally aspirated engine works? They all, oh, yeah, I got that. Bill, can you explain it? Uh, uh, uh. Women will just tell you right up front, I don't know what you're talking about. And you can just teach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd have to agree with that. I've, I've taught quite a few women to fly. The other thing that, that I'd have to say with women and teaching them how to fly, most people try to teach them differently. Uh, the flight school I was in, they always used to send the women to me to fly. And I was like, why is that? Because I never did anything different is what they said. Mm -hmm. and most people like to come there because they, I teach them the same as everybody else. There is no difference. There's, they are people just like everybody else. And that's something that I think uh, we normally uh, in still to this day will think is that the women shouldn't be in these jobs. That's for men, that type of thing. And no, that's not true. Just spoke with Linda Meeks just recently, and, and that was part of her story, too, in, in our previous episode. So it's it's great that you're really inspiring your, your young daughter to go forward with this aviation career, whatever career that might be. It's a varied path. I mean, how, how did you get to where you are right now? I know you said you were a flight instructor, or you got into flying, but how'd you get your AMP? You didn't talk about that. I was, I, well, let me back up a little bit. I thought I was going to be an airline pilot, and I was perfectly comfortable with that. And then I went to Sun and Fun. 
and I had never been there before. Yeah. And I saw home builds, and I saw warbirds, and I saw experimentals, and I thought, wow, I had no idea this was out here. And I started talking to people who'd built their own planes from plans or from kits, and I was just fascinated. So I started gravitating more towards general aviation as a career, and I was writing. There used to be, here in Winterhaven where I live, there used to be a magazine based on the field. And when I was instructing as a full-time instructor, I would tease the editor over coffee, and he would tease me. And one day he assigned me an article. I wrote one, and he paid me. And I thought, oh, this is a whole new avenue. <laughs> so anyhow, I, I worked my way through to where I was editing a magazine once, and uh, it occurred to me while I was doing it, I didn't have the nuts and bolts knowledge I wanted to have. I understood torque and P-factor and how maneuvers work and aerodynamics and all, but I didn't actually understand how a cantilever wing was attached to the airplane. So I decided to go back to school and get my AMP. And I got to admit, it's tough. I was in my late 30s. It's tough to take time out from life and go back to school. Absolutely worth it, though, because that experience of going back and getting my AMP has allowed me to work on B-25s and rebuild a B-17. I've gotten to work on antique and classic airplanes over at Fantasy of Flight. It's really a treat to be able to work on a 1920s-era mail plane stitching fabric on or something or or one of my great stories that i really like is i was i was drilling the control surfaces off a p-38 once at riley's air museum up in Kissimmee, and and an faa inspector was standing right next to me and we were talking as i'm drilling up the the p-38 is one of the few of that era with metal control surfaces and i'm i'm drilling the last of the rivets off and i pop it and i pull the skin off and right there on the spar is a rejected stamp that this piece is no good. And it really gave me an education into World War II. They are not the craftsman-built airplanes you think they are. They're slapped together pieces of, well, they're, they're just not the best airplanes in the world sometimes. <laughs> so that, that's amazing that you've done that. You've done both the flying side and the mechanic side, and that's incredible. you got those opportunities. Now, here's where the rubber meets the road. I, our audience wants to know, how can they make some extra money? Were you paid to do these things? Were you paid to flight instruct? Were you paid to help? fix these aircraft? I'm a 100% capitalist. In all honesty, while I do donate a lot of time, I almost always get paid something. Uh, currently, I write for a variety of publications, AOPA publications, Glime publications. I do their customer support and I develop content for them. I do flight monkeys. But if I'm flight instructing or if I'm working on your airplane, I'm, I'm getting paid for that. And it's not because I'm trying to be evil. It's because I have a mortgage. This is my job. It's what I do. Well, great. They, they, that's something I think a lot of people don't realize is that you don't have to flight instruct for free. I, I've heard that quite a bit where you're building time. You know, I'm not going to pay you because you just need to build time. And most of those customers, I tell them, well, then you need to find another instructor because I'm not for free. And it's, it's kind of foreign for people to hear that, especially the audience that we're talking to that has never flight instructed, that there are people out there that will do it for free and at a very reduced cost just so they can build time to get to the airlines. Normally, what I tell people is that if you want an instructor that truly, truly loves instructing, you're probably going to have to pay for that. And uh, I just recently got an email asking about, you know, is there anybody that who maybe can do it for free whose passion is aviation? I said, usually if their passion is aviation, a lot of times you're going to pay a little bit more for that person because they usually have a lot more expertise and a lot more experience. Now, you, you said flight instructor mechanic. 
there's an advantage of being both. There's a couple, uh, one advantage that I know of, you know, having, I just sold my airplane, but uh, my partner in the airplane, you know, a mechanic, he was able to help out, help out in the fact that if we change something, we fix something, he could sign it off. I could do some of the work, but he could sign it off. So what, that's one advantage of being both a mechanic and a pilot. Can, can you see any others? Well, in all honesty, from a flight instructor's standpoint, it's good because I understand systems better than the average flight instructor, and I'm not trying to be rude. When I was in flight school, I had a friend who was a, an AMP, and I envied him because when we'd get into a system, especially on twin-engine airplanes, he just had it. He understood hydraulics and check valves and how everything works, and I didn't. I struggled. Being a CFI and really understanding how these systems work, whether you're in a very simple plane or a fairly complex one, it helps me to be able to explain to students why you need to know this stuff. And, and you know this well. Aviation, being a pilot's not as hard as people think in the terms of flying the plane. It's designed to fly, and it's going to. If you fall asleep, it's going to continue to fly. The challenge in being a pilot is being able to make decisions. And that's one of the things that I really enjoy when I talk to school groups or political groups or business leaders. The reason aviation matters to people who have no intention of having a career in aviation is because it teaches people to have a decision-making process that works. You can't just, pardon the pun, but you can't just wing it in an airplane. You've got to know before you leave, am I in good shape? Is the plane in good shape? Is the fuel good? Is the weather acceptable? Are Is there a temporary flight restriction along my route there's a lot of information together and frankly that's the same thing you go through when you get involved in politics when you start a business when you have a relationship with somebody these are skills that translate to other parts of life that good advice that's some great advice the now part-time instructing is what you're doing now part-time maintenance also possibly right. now Let's talk a little bit about that. Let's talk towards the folks that are interested, not in a full-time career, uh, they're computer programmers, but they love flying. They want to be a flight instructor, but they also want to have a successful career as a part-time instructor. You're not doing it full-time. Is there any advice you could give to somebody that's thinking of doing it part-time, whether it's trying to find students, you know, how do I get involved, how do I find students, what do I charge, those type of things? You know, that's an important question because I think to some extent being a part-time instructor is more challenging than being a full-time instructor. And the biggest issue is you can't overextend yourself. Say you like the idea of, oh, I can pick up an extra $35 to $50 an hour with students. I'll get four students and that'll be great. You got to remember, if those are private students, at some point they're all going to be in the cross-country phase. Now you've got a huge time commitment and you've got four students and a real job. You're, you're not going to serve your students well, and that's unfair to them. They're paying the freight. More often than not, if you want to do part-time instruction, you're best off having an individual student. And frankly, I'd, I'd advise somebody to work your way into it, doing flight reviews and things that are very short-term, tail dragger sign-offs, things that you can do in a relatively short period of time. See if you really like doing part-time instruction. If you do, then go ahead and take on a student, but make sure you're ahead of the curve. You know, there were just changes to the private and commercial PTS. There's new new tasks involved. They're looking to you. You have to be ahead of them, and that's one of the challenges of teaching. You have to know everything that has to be known before they do so you introduce it correctly. 
And I think that's one of the great things about instructing too, is that's the challenge. You want to meet that challenge. You want to say, hey, I want to be ahead of my students on this. Another thing to add to that, I'd like to get your opinion on this, is when you're working as a part-time instructor, this is something I've found that's worked for me, I work with a local instructor. A lot of times a local FBO doesn't like part-time instructors. They kind of like me, though. Eh, somewhat. <laughs> I shouldn't say they don't 100% like me because I'm taking a little business, they think. But I usually send them to a, a local instructor to sign off for their check ride because I'm an airline pilot. I'm out on the road. I always want someone there during the check ride. I also want to make sure there's no breaks in that person's training. So I follow a strict syllabus, and we share that syllabus. So when I'm not there, somebody else is helping out. In your case, you're local. Now, is that something that you would advise somebody who's local to do or not when you're talking about part-time instructing and being close to the airport? I would absolutely always encourage having a partnership and a relationship with the FBO or other flight instructors. A number of reasons for it. One of them is whether you're the best flight instructor in the world or not, you're still a biological life form. You're going to get sick. There are things that are going to happen that are unforeseen and you're not available when your student really needs you to be available. The other thing is you don't want to harm the, the business environment at your airport for your own personal gain. Uh, we're trying to make some real changes here in Winter Haven, and I'm pleased about them. One of the things I've been pushing really hard over the last year is flying clubs and partnerships That'll lower the cost of entry for aviation. Now, you've got to do that with some care because you've got an FBO on the field that you don't want to be competing with directly. You want to support them. So whatever you do as a part-time flight instructor, you want to make sure it's entirely above board. You know what your operating standards are at the airport. You have the insurance that you have to have. You really don't want to be in a position where you're paying fast and loose with the rules and somebody comes and shuts you down when your, your student was five hours from taking their check ride and now they've they've got to start all over the other thing that i think is really important when you're a part-time flight instructor especially your student is going to hopefully excel do really well pass their practical test and go on and be a, a, a pilot they want to have an avenue to have access to an airplane after that they want to know people they don't want to just have a clean break with you and okay you're done see you later your your job as a flight instructor is not just to get them through the practical test. It's to establish a relationship and multiple relationships, hopefully, that help keep them involved down the road so they can get the answers they need. And frankly, they still need mentorship after they get their ticket. Yeah, I think once you're their flight instructor, you're always their flight instructor for the rest of your life. And I get calls from students from you know 20 years ago. They're saying, hey, listen, I need some advice on this. And, and that, that has some great advice. The, uh, the other thing that I found, too, is you talked about clubs and you talked about partnerships and that type of thing. I've been in both, and uh, I've actually sold my share in both of those just to do this podcast. So I'm, to, you know, I'm committed to this. So like you said, with the time, you have to make sure you pick your battles. Uh, and, and as an aside, before I get into this, is the fact that I took on too many students, and I've had friends do that, and it's not good for the student. It's not good for you. It's not good for your family life. So that, like, going back to that, that's very important. With the flight school, uh, we've felt that animosity every so often where we had a, a club on the same field as a flight school. But where we were able to actually build a relationship was the fact we would buy all our gas there. And if there was any instruction, we tried to use their instructors as much as possible. So you can still build that relationship. It's somewhat tenuous at times. Uh, you just have to make sure you sell the FBO on the fact that you're here. You're going to help them. You're going to bring in students also. The other thing about part-time instructing, and this is, this is my feeling, if you're a part-time instructor, you actually have to be really good 
uh, because there's a lot of full-time guys out there you're competing with. So you have to have something you can bring to that instructing. For me, I do a lot of instrument ratings. You know, I fly IFR, you know, 100 hours a month. You know, there's, I fly quite a bit in the system. And so I can bring a little bit of experience there. And for you, as a part-time instructor, you have another job. You, know, you must have certain things that you have niches in. Is that something that you promote? Like you're, say, the best tailwheel instructor out there. You know, oh, this is the guy to go to, that type of thing. You do the best flight review. You know, what type of things that would you suggest? You know, that's a really good point, and I'm glad you brought it up because aviation is far more diverse than the average person thinks. Now, you, talk, you fly a lot in the system, the IFR. I have a couple friends who fly every single day. And they have rarely been more than 10 miles from the airport because they do rides. They, they fly out of grass strips and biplanes or, or things. And, and they haven't talked on the radio in years. They're good, proficient pilots who know what they do, but they're specialists. That's true of flight instructors. And you're right. Now, right here in Winterhaven, we have seaplanes. We have Jack Brown Seaplane Base. It's an it's a iconic training facility. That's a really interesting, unique, specific type of training. And, and I've encouraged people before, if you're curious, you don't have to go for the rating. Just stop into a seaplane base and say, hey, can I go book a half hour or an hour? It's a tremendous experience, but it's a great example of the guy who is a really, really good full-time instructor flying a glass panel 172 is useless in that seaplane. It's a different rating. Everything about it is different. Uh, the, the tail dragger guy, and, and frankly, whether it's a tail dragger guy flying a Cub or a tail dragger guy doing... We have Preston Aviation here who does specific training in steermans because if you buy a steerman, you don't want to be stepping up from a Luscombe into that. You need to get a little bit of experience with that much power, that much drag, the way the whole thing works. There are niche markets where people instruct in very specific skills or, or aircraft. As a matter of fact, we've got a guy here on the field who does type-specific training in air cams. The experimental home-built twin-engine airplane, he's got one on floats, one on wheels. And they do type-specific training because you're flying an airplane that weighs 800 pounds and has 200 horsepower. I mean, it, it takes a knack. And, and frankly, you're sitting four feet in front of the wing. So you want to get very specific training. And frankly, this is his job. That's what he does. But it's something that I think in most airports would never even occur to people that there's somebody who does that. So find your passion. Find the thing you're good at and pursue that. It'll, it'll turn into something for you if you persevere. I think that's important what you just said is find your passion. I didn't realize. I mean, I've been in here to Gilbert Field or Winter Haven Airport quite a few times. I had no idea that I had someone there that did flew the air cam and could teach me how to fly that. Stearman, something I've always wanted to learn how to fly and looked at buying. This is where I would go, and now I know that. But I would never have known that if I didn't talk here. So, so, and then you talked about the seaplane base. How, did I, how do you get out there and find out about flying? You go out and you get some time. Now, how do we promote that? I mean, how do we get that out there? What you just told me, those three things I just became interested in. Okay, I'm sitting at an airport. Now, I'm going to go outside. How do I get somebody else interested in that? How do I go outside and talk to people and get them interested in flying a steerman? Well, you know, that's kind of become my lifestyle here, and I'm glad you're doing what you're doing because this is it. I've become more of an advocate for aviation. I don't really think of myself as a CFI or an AMP or an aviation writer anymore, although I do all those things. I'm an advocate, and that means I do get out. I talk to business groups. I talk to political groups. I talk to school groups, and I know you do the same thing. 
because so many people don't understand what aviation is. And I'm including aviators in that group. They, they've got a preconceived notion, and it is so bad, I'll tell you. The reason I started learning in my 20s how to fly is even though I was born at an Air Force base and my dad flew for Pan Am, I was under the impression that you had to have a military background to fly. I, wasn't, I was so stupid, I didn't know anybody who wants to fly can go learn. And as soon as I found out, I did. <laughs> so it's, it's one of those things that we have to constantly be looking for following our own passion. What are we interested in? And we have to start telling that story to people around the dinner table over, you know, when we, we go visit friends at the class reunion or whatever. We start telling that story because there are people who have no interest in sitting in the left seat of an Airbus, just none. But they're fascinated about sitting in the back seat of a Cub. And as, as long as we can find a way to let people know whatever you're interested in, it exists. So go do that. Sure. And along with that, one of the great ways to promote aviation I've found, and this has worked for me, I always wear a T-shirt. It has something to do with flying. Uh, like right now, I'm wearing my Stuck Mike Avcast T-shirt, which I'm a co-host of. And I also have Sun and Fun T-shirts. And I have all sorts of different T-shirts all about flying. And people come up to me and say, oh, that's a cool-looking airplane. I was like, yeah, I actually fly airplanes. You want to learn a little bit about it? And they'll say, oh, yeah, cool. And I'll take them out to the airport and take them for a flight. They may just do that flight and never fly again for 10 years. They might fly 10 years later, just like the Young Eagles flights. These are flights that the Experimental Aircraft Association puts together where people are introduced to flying. It, it's hard to measure what you just said and how it works. In other words, it's hard to measure whether what you've done what talking to that individual has worked until it could be years later. So don't tell me that it doesn't work because it didn't happen that day. It could be 10, 20 years down the road. We truly are ambassadors for the aviation community. All of us are. It's exactly what you're doing is, is being an ambassador for us and, and getting out there. And you have a great voice. I mean, you have uh, the opportunity to speak in many different areas. And I mean by speaking, also writing, which brings up another thing, too. There's a lot of folks in aviation that like to write. You know, I like to write. And uh, actually, my first job out of college, I used to write computer manuals. But how about people that are looking at a career in writing? And then we're going to talk a little bit about politics after that. Can they meld the two together? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, everybody's got their own perspective. That's what makes the written word or the person who's the public speaker so interesting. You and I may be headed in the same direction, but we'll phrase it a different way or we'll bring a new perspective to it that people didn't see before. You know, I write content for Glime Publications, the red cover book people. I used them when I was a student. I think it's an outstanding product. I really do like it. But it's a very different writing experience than when I write for Flight Training Magazine where I can be a little more casual and, and teach the lesson in a different way. Or if I write for AOPA Pilot, that's a completely different thing again. That allows me to stretch out and really start to express myself in a way that's appropriate to the publisher. But I'm reaching really three different audiences there. And I, I think of this a lot in terms of my youngest daughter. I can't talk to a 13-year-old kid or, or a Civil Air Patrol group of cadets I can't use the same terminology I'd use if I was talking to a group of your peers who have an airline background. Because if I start using all the jargon, these kids are absolutely lost. But if I lose the jargon and start talking with real enthusiasm, or if I write something that's intended to be read at their level, I don't have to explain exactly how the starter system works. The point is the airplane starts and we move. And, and that's the thing. We tailor it to our audience. And that's really important because you'll write something or you'll say something that it never would have occurred to me to say or write, 
but you'll make headway where I wouldn't. And I'll toss something in when you were talking about being ambassadors. Years ago, I flew for a, a Part 61-141 school in Connecticut, a terrific school. But because it was New England, people would show up in the fall, and they'd couples, and they'd want to go on a flight to see the foliage. And we'd always go on a 172, and I always did the same thing. I put one of them in the left seat. I'd sit in the right seat. I'd do the takeoff, and by the time we were at 500 feet, I'd turn and say, you want to fly the plane? And they never saw that coming. They didn't even know that was a possibility. But I'd let them fly the whole flight. I mean, I'd guide them a bit, but they would come back just elated because the experience was way beyond what they had imagined. They thought they were just going to look at the sites. They got to look at the sites and fly a plane. I'm telling you, they're at the water cooler Monday telling a story that they never thought they were going to have to tell. Wow, that's a great way to introduce someone to aviation. Not just that person. Now they've introduced five others by talking at that water cooler. Great, great idea. The uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, melding politics and aviation. We don't oh, we don't get in, we don't get into politics too much here, and I won't talk about any political issues. But there are people, well, obviously, at the airline. I'm sitting there, and people do talk politics, and it's one of those three things you're not supposed to talk about. But there are people that are very, very interested in politics. Uh, what if somebody is interested in politics? How do they meld that? I mean, you've done that. Yeah, I was actually very lucky, and, and it kind of comes from my career. I had written, we're sitting right now in the new terminal building in Winter Haven at Gilbert Field. I wrote a, uh, I wrote an, a column for the local newspaper that criticized the funding of it and how it was being managed. And because of that, some people here on the field said, have you ever thought of running for city commission? And that led to me actually running for office and winning, and I'm third year now in in office as a city commissioner. And I got to tell you, initially, I shied away from being the airport commissioner because of that perspective. I was actually referred to that way because of my interest in aviation. And a local developer once, we were, we were having lunch together, and he said, you know, you should be. You're the only one here who understands how this works, and we own an airport. It's a 400-acre facility jump in, do something. And that really cut me loose to start sharing my knowledge. And and that's where I started. I was invited to speak to a, a development group once, businessmen. And I think they thought they were throwing me a bone because I was newly elected official and I was going to come in and talk about how much I loved airplanes. And I didn't. I came in and talked to them about how a- aviation is really important to their business, regardless of what their business is. You know, how the neighbors, neighboring towns, can use the fact that there's an airport here, that if you need to get your executives in from home offices in Atlanta to near here, don't go to Orlando or Tampa. Come right in here to Gilbert Field. You can fly right in with your corporate airplane, do your meetings, do your tours, and get out again. It's efficient. The irony is aviation isn't exclusive or isolationist. It's incredibly open because of security concerns. There's barbed wire and keep-out signs. But we actually want people involved. We really want them to come out and understand, even if you don't fly, even if you just come here to grab a burger and a sandwich and watch airplanes, we want that. So my ability to get out and talk to people about how aviation touches industry, tourism, education, how it inspires people, how it connects your town literally to every other town in the world, it really does benefit the economy of your town, no matter if you're at a little non-towered airport like this one or if you're at Newark. Aviation really matters, and, and in the political realm, that's something that I can discuss without worrying about do you understand what an ILS is or do you understand what an INS is. <laughs> you know, I, I can just talk about this matters. And, and, you know, we talked about flight instructors and, and mechanics earlier. 
by and large, aviation jobs are skilled jobs that pay reasonably well. Now, there are also entry-level jobs at the airport where you can just learn and work your way up. And frankly, an A&P is one of the few places, and I tie this into education, one of the few high-paying jobs where you can do on-the-job training still. It's part of the regulations. You can log time as a student working under an AMP, so you can actually get paid while you're getting your license, which qualifies you for a $25 an hour job. That's something that political people can get into, and you don't have to take party sides. You don't have to talk about individual candidates. It's just promoting the economy of your city. And I think everybody should do that. Now, you touched on something there, mechanics locally doing work, et cetera, and, and jobs. Now, I didn't, I didn't brief you on this one, but one of the things I like to, to come up with is certain jobs that people don't think about uh, other than just flight instructing and mechanics. I know you're a flight instructor and a mechanic, but as an instructor or as a commercial pilot, say you don't want to be an instructor, there's other things out there. I'll, I'll give you one. I'll, I uh, actually was involved in a thing called corporate exhibits. Turns out that I, I was pretty good at finding places on a map, and I would get them over that station, over that, that building or whatever piece of land, and take pictures for them. And that was aerial photography. I never thought that that would be a career field that I would even think of getting into, but all of a sudden, every week, it's a steady income. I'm getting this, these pictures every week. And I, I got so many jobs that I had to give them to someone else. And there's, there's aerial photography. There might be some others, I don't know if you can think of any, in aviation besides the mechanic, besides the pilot being a flight instructor, that someone could do part-time. And uh, I don't know if you can think of one uh, other than, you know, my, my buddy does banner towing and that type of things. Well, well, there's the, the ground operations thing, which far outnumber pilot positions. You know, you've got the line guy, the fuel person, the administrator, the, the person at the desk who's booking flights and, and handling rental cars and all that. There's a, there's a whole lot of that. But you're absolutely right. We've got some large industrial projects happening here in town. And the tailwheel instructor down here picked up a job doing, doing exactly what you said, aerial photos, because they're here. The nearest aerial photo company is far away. Uh, we do periodically get requests for somebody to do in-flight video, which gets used in B-roll. There's also things like, um, and this is really weird, but I once interviewed for this job, doing traffic reports from an airplane. That's not a full-time, all-day job. They, they have a guy who does the morning shift, the guy does the afternoon shift, and your job is just to get up and fly over the highway and every once in a while click the mic button and say, yeah, there's all kinds of traffic here, Bill. <laughs> But that's a real job, and if you want to pick up a couple bucks with your flying, you can do that. Well, I know that there's a lot of helicopter pilots that do that, but there's fixed wing that do that also. And, and they're not all as crazy as the guy in Air America, which is a terrific movie. The, now, people that are looking at a career path, one of the last things I want to talk about is when we're looking at a part-time career in aviation, uh, there's a lot of fears involved, you know, like the unknown. And we hopefully have covered a few things here. One of the things that I know as an airline pilot, uh, I advise people first make sure your company is going to let you actually fly part-time because you can get in a lot of trouble. And you have to make sure there's, there's issues also with flight times that you have to look at, et cetera. But find out from your chief pilot, say, hey, listen, I want to fly part-time because I have all this knowledge that I want to impart to other people. How about other people in other jobs? I know they, they have some fears about their job being in jeopardy if they actually take on this flight instruction position. And uh, you've done it. I mean, you, you have another job. And, and 
for you, uh, there should have been or may have been some fears when you started going out instructing. My fears were, gosh, what if I lose my pilot certificate? And that's a big one because that's my, my main income is actually from flying airplanes. Can you think of any of those fears or anything that you would advise people to overcome those fears or how to, what you can look towards? Well, you know, in all honesty, and this may seem a little pedestrian, but I think the most important one is your family, especially if you're married. You're involved in a relationship with somebody who's concerned about your safety. And even though it's absolutely baseless, people think aviation is incredibly dangerous. It's actually statistically safer than taking a shower at your own house. But people worry about that. And my wife doesn't come from an aviation background. And at my first flying job, uh, like a lot of young flight instructors, I, I wasn't making a lot of money. My wife and I were separated for a while just for economic reasons. She moved in back down to Florida to where I was, and we had a fatal crash the next day. She had just met this guy, and, and it was really it was difficult. So that's something you do have to deal with, the reality of, of the job. Um, the other thing that comes to mind is the best piece of advice I ever got when I started was before you get seriously into your flight instruction, if you're thinking about doing this for a career, go get a first class medical. If you can't pass the first class, that doesn't mean you can't work in aviation, but it changes your your career path. So just be aware of what your options are. You can professionally instruct on a third class medical that's not considered carrying passengers for compensation or hire. You're instructing. So if you can't pass the first class, that doesn't mean you're out of the game. It just means you've got a different spectrum of jobs to look at, and you want to be aware of that as you get into your training. I'm glad you brought that up. That, that was great advice. And and people think that the medical is going to stop them. It doesn't necessarily have to. You can also be a sport pilot instructor, too. You can look towards that. But uh, that was terrific. Thanks for, for all your time and taking time with us. And I was wondering if you could stick around for a little bit, and we'll talk a little bit about product recommendations. As a matter of fact, one involves you. We... Uh, Jamie, Jamie actually, again, is, is a great speaker. He speaks eloquently at many different events. And one of the things he touched on was the fact that he was asked to speak about the value of aviation. One of the better videos I've seen out there, it's a little more grassroots than most, and, and I like that, is uh, one called The Value of Aviation. I have a link to it. It's actually on YouTube. And, uh, you know, Jamie actually speaks about the importance of having an airport in your town the, and the different uh, – benefits of having aviation and airports in the area. And, and also, uh, one of the things he brought up in the video is talks about how there's other airports around that we don't even know about. There's private airports, that type of thing. And, you know, this is the type of video that you want to show your friends because when they're asking you what's the value of aviation, isn't aviation for all those big wigs flying around in corporate jets, and uh, which is a whole topic of discussion. Uh, and it's like, yes, there are a lot of people flying around in corporate jets. Thank God for that. You know, one of my partners in the airplane is actually the, the largest employer in Polk County, which we are sitting in right now. And he actually has to fly on the corporate jet every so often. It gets them to so many different locations so quickly in this state and in others that they could never do that other without having an aircraft. Uh, so I really recommend you're going out to see that video. They can find that actually at uh, flightmonkeys.com. They can find that video under the videos tab. It'd be videos and podcast tabs. So I'd really highly recommend going to see that. Well, there's another recommendation I have besides that. And I actually, I was going to talk a little bit about this, but I'm going to let Jamie describe what it is. It's called Politics for Pilots. And I think there's more than one version. And it comes from... Uh, General Aviation News, and it's a column that he writes there. So tell us a little bit about the book and also a little bit about General Aviation News and what you do there. 
Sure, I appreciate it. Ben Sclair is the publisher of General Aviation News, and we've known each other for many years. I've written for him in the past. But when I got elected, we started talking about the fact that I was very assertive about aviation, which is somewhat unusual amongst elected officials. And he asked me if I would write this weekly column, Politics for Pilots. It's a blog, actually, but it generally ends up in the print publication as well. So I did, and I I have a lot of fun. It's intended to be inspirational and motivational. And frankly, rather than all the doom and gloom and the challenges we have, it's intended to show that there are paths to success. It doesn't work all the time. Everything requires persistence and creativity. But the fact is you can have a more vibrant airport. You can get more people involved, and it is more affordable than most people think. So that's kind of what the column is about. Each year, we compile that year's columns into uh, an ebook called The Loose Cannon View, and, and it's the entire year's collection of them. I think it's priced at a whopping $1.99 or something like that. And In all honesty, my, the whole point of pricing it as low as it is as an ebook is so that it's very accessible. People can get it, hang on to it if they want to, and it actually may address some of the things you've been concerned about, whether that's how do I deal with my town council when they want to close the airport, and, and that happens. There are places that really do want to shut down aviation interest because they don't understand the value. That's really why I do politics for pilots, the loose can of you and things like the value of aviation. So the reader and the viewer has an argument and knows I'm not alone. This is happening all around the country. And that guy was successful turning it around because I'll tell you, my airport here was certainly mismanaged for over 20 years. It, it was really just doing nothing. It, it wasn't generating any money. It wasn't bringing any any real notice to the city. We've turned around in the last couple of years. And, and frankly, it took a year after I was elected to get people really paying attention. But now they are. We really are making a difference. And I'll give you an example. It, it, it's been mentioned in Politics for Pilots columns. We started the Polk Aviation Alliance, which is the municipally owned airports in Polk County, which is the side a little bigger than Rhode Island. It's those municipal airports plus the management of Fantasy of Flight, which is a tourism spot, uh, the world's greatest aircraft collection, and Sun and Fun, realizing we have a common interest, aviation success in our county. So we banded together. We meet on a regular basis. We discuss how we can help each other and support each other. It's tremendously important, and I try and use the lessons I learned there and the things that people bring to my attention, spread them out. Because, you know, there's a guy in Michigan and there's a guy in Iowa that don't know this is a possibility, and they have the creativity to make it happen in their community. So I'm just trying to spread the good word if I can, Carl. And I think you've done that. I've actually bought the book, and I've read almost half of it so far, the latest one that was out. And there are some really insightful articles there, and I really do highly recommend going to find Politics for Pilots. And they can find a link right on Aviation Careers Podcast, and they can go out to the Amazon to Dot com to purchase that. And also I put out there a link to General Aviation News. General Aviation News is a terrific uh, print and also uh, e-publication. You actually, If you don't want to get the printed copy, you can also get an electronic copy. Uh, for someone who's really wanting to read something other than how to fly and how to navigate the politics and, and aviation, this is, this is a terrific book. It, and it is inspirational. I, I highly recommend it. Uh, and also General Aviation News and your, your blog posts there. They are terrific. So I, I definitely would recommend folks to go there. Now, how would someone uh, get in touch with you, Jamie? Oh, that's a that's a complex one. You'd go to flightmonkeys.com and you just click on 
write a flight monkey or whatever it is, but you can also just write me at jamie at flightmonkeys.com and I actually read and answer the email. Great. And also, if we have questions from people that write into us, I'll definitely forward them to you and see if you can actually answer some of those. Well, you know, I really do appreciate your taking the time. You do have a varied path in your aviation background, and hopefully we've inspired some of our listeners to actually go for it and and try doing uh, aviation part-time. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it, Carl. I love what you're doing. And frankly, if we all keep pulling together and spreading the good word, I think we've got a pretty bright future. I think so, too. Well, thanks for listening to Aviation Careers Podcast. If you have any questions, comments, suggestions, please contact me at aviationcareerspodcast.com. Hit the contact button. Also on Twitter, I'm at Flying Careers. Facebook, Aviation Careers Podcast, or by email. And again, that will be at the contact button on Aviation Careers Podcast. And recently, we finally are in iTunes. So if you want to look in iTunes and look up Aviation Careers Podcast, you can download us and you know the the aviation career is truly a varied path and it's you that has to define what you want to do with aviation because everything is different most important thing keep your eye on your goal and keep moving forward safe flying you've been listening to aviation careers podcast an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career this aviation podcast is produced by the valeri aviation corporation Although hosts or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast, compensation never influences our opinion. Before purchasing any product or service, you should always do your own research. Music by Billy Wheeler, All Rights Reserved.